Welcome to the Right Brain Music Podcast, presented by Right Brain Records. I'm Scott, and I thank you for joining us. This month, we travel to the front range of the Rocky Mountains to meet musicians who've been turning out fresh, frontier-busting sounds for the past few decades. They are the duo Electro Manifesto and the quartet The Low Mids. Both groups are based in the Denver-Boulder area of Colorado, home of a thriving improvised music scene. And both are featured in the recent Right Brain Records compilation, Guitar Improv Summit Volume 2. These six musicians share a common history, philosophy, and approach to making music. They draw on a wide base of influences and create music spontaneously. Let's get to know them, learn about the unique music scene that's helped nurture their work, and, of course, hear the results of their labors. We'll start with Electro Manifesto, which consists of guitarist Michael O'Neill and percussionist Gordon Kennedy. They released a CD called Invisible Logic earlier this year. Though their musical connection is long-standing, this is their first recording together in over two decades. Gordon is just returning after a long recovery from an industrial accident. Together they've created what one reviewer called a captivating universe. I'm Michael O'Neill. I first came across Gordon Kennedy at a Front Range Improv Orchestra jam. This was uh, something Jack Wright started in 1988. And we had a space in Denver where we played at Gallery Buana, the little basement art gallery. And there was just this extraordinary drummer that was playing these flurries of sound and then stopping with complete silence and leaving space for people. Uh, that was a, a rare commodity in Frio was space for people. Yeah, I was struck then. And then I saw him again playing with Jack with Terry Sines on bass as a trio, much more concise, tight trio. And I asked Jack uh, if I could join in a session. Uh, soon after, the instrument panel was the group that was formed with the four of us, with Farrell Lowe coming in uh, a few months later. I'm uh, Gordon Kennedy. I remember meeting Michael at that gig that Jack, Terry, and I did. Both Farrell and Michael came up and talked with us. I can't remember the conversation except for, for one piece that really struck me. And I don't know if it was you, Michael, or if it was Farrell, or maybe both of you said that you thought we blew away uh, Peter Brockman and Hummy Drake. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and they were the they were the headlining act, and uh, I thought, wow, that's that's pretty interesting. And uh, 
I, I don't know, you know, what moves were made for us to get together and, and form instrument panel, but I think it happened fairly quickly after that. What I find makes the Boulder Denver music scene tick as well as it has, as um, just been a function of having a place to rehearse and play as well as a uh, place to perform. And it seems like it was um, like a cyclical thing. Early on, there was the Gallery Buana in Denver, gigs at Penny Lane, Mercury Cafe in Denver, Muddy's in Denver. Those places would shift their focus of who they would let in. Then the West End Bar in uh, Boulder allowed us to use their basement every Wednesday. And it started out Farrell and I running it, and then Jack and I ran it. And it was seven years of some kind of improvised music every Tuesday. Uh, incredible longevity. You know, it would be everything from a folk singer that had improv to, you know, things that sounded like the instrument panel to uh, somebody who wrote string quartets and had improvisational sections in it. Occasionally, um, somebody would, like a, a headlining group, would find out there was a place to play and ask if they could play. So we had Vinnie Golia. And one day we were unceremoniously replaced by a large screen television. So uh, pretty dreadful. Not a thank you from the club. You know, we bring in 50 people sometimes. Years later, Brett Sexton gets Deer Pile, just a little art space in Denver, you know. So things started to flourish again. And currently we have the Muse performance space with uh, an event called Oh Snap, an improvisational gathering that happens monthly. I've been thinking about this recently, you know, wondering why I've gone down the path that I have. I mean, why any of us, you know, go down uh, the musical path that we do. For me, I would say the first step in the direction of heading towards free improv happened to me in high school when I was into the, the British invasion not the Beatles so much, but the Yardbirds and Led Zeppelin. And, you know, there was all these psychedelic bands that were releasing albums that, you know, you'd never hear of, but I would choose an album uh, based on the cover. And I saw this album one time was by Captain Beefheart. It was called Trout Mask Replica. And I just looked at the front and the back and I thought, Oh, this ought to be good. So I put it on and it just, it blew my mind. So from there, went to college. I heard old Miles Davis. I was pretty interested in that, but it was, it was Bitches Brew that just blew my mind. And then everything from the beginning of college to the end of college, it, it, it just went at warp speed. It went from, from Miles Davis 
to uh, Sun Ra, and there was a head shop in Pittsburgh where I was living at the time. Heads and together. It, yes, yes. Yeah, I exactly. lived in the basement there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, heads I, together. I, I spent more time in that basement than I did at my dinner table at home. Wow. Well, maybe you were the person that wrote little notes on particularly special albums. And I remember coming across my first Total Free Improv album, which I still set as the center of the universe of free improv. And the note just said the most avant-garde music heard to date. And it was Topography of the Lungs with Derek Bailey, Evan Parker, and Han Benning. From then on, you know, I've, I've been interested in free improv. I um, got involved in this kind of music a bit late, relatively speaking, and I was just a music nut listening to all sorts of things, and I discovered the mid-70s era King Crimson. I couldn't believe that the piece Providence on the album Red was improvised. It was just one of those moments of, I gotta play guitar, and I gotta play improvised music. Similar to Gordon, like everything starts flooding in, and you start hearing more and more, and the mind expands as to what is possible. And it was anything from Per Ubu on the rock end of things to Stockhausen and Webern and Schoenberg and anything in jazz. I was just really struck with that phenomena that Gordon mentioned too of, you know, something is intriguing and it doesn't necessarily make sense, but there's enough there that keeps you coming back. So that's been kind of a touchstone for me is to make subtle forms of logic, and hence our title of the CD, Invisible Logic. I don't want things to hit me over the head, and I don't want to hit people over the head with the tried and true, and just like, how do we make this stick together with just the, the flimsiest connection? And it's, it's, to me, it's more rewarding. It's just it's like, oh, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing the thread. I'm, I'm hearing what's holding this together. And, I think the same is said for just reality itself of like what is holding this together it, it's not the most obvious things that you see on the news it's there are things under the surface there are there are things that our scientific instruments can't detect just yet that's the interesting stuff to me is the hidden logic of things
even when there's no obvious sense of time, there's a, a sense of pulse that we play with. And Michael and I are able to intuit one another. You know, there's places where we stop together. We know when after, you know, a, a second or a half a second, when to come in. For me, that's the invisible logic that that holds our music together. I think what makes our band tick, makes it a lot of things work, in addition to everything Gordon said, which I completely agree with, is we um, both welcome surprises. At some point, you know, we'll sense it's time for a shift and we'll just reach for something. Sometimes we get a surprise. <laughs> And we welcome that. It's just like, okay, it's time to change. And I guess, um, you know, instead of veering 10 degrees to the left, we're veering 80 degrees to the left, and we're going to go with that. The other thing that is holding things together is, despite the left turns and surprises, very organically, without really ever talking about it, is this uh, idea of spontaneous composition despite that 80 degree left turn, it's in our minds where we started. Somehow, I mean, I'm shocked sometimes. Like, like oh, I, I guess we started over here and we will continue the story of like, the journey went over here and then something happened, you know, and then then World War III happened and then, <laughs> then they returned to their homeland or whatever. There's this narrative that seems clear after the fact. For me, for improvisation, there's a sense of play that is just real liberating. It's just a blast uh, when it's flowing. There's these magic moments where you feel like you can do no wrong.
Our next guest is the Low Mids. This group is comprised of guitarist Farrell Lowe, lap steel guitar specialist Scott Ray, drummer Mark Rains, and multi-instrumentalist Dave Willey. They get together about once a year, set up, and record whatever flows out. They've released three albums from these sessions. Like Electro Manifesto, their roots are deep, with each other and in the Denver Boulder scene. Mark Rains. I live in Lakewood, Colorado. Play drums, hang out with my family, have horses. Hi, I'm uh, Scott Ray. I play steel guitar, mostly lap steel with some palm lovers and uh, incorporating some pedal steel these days. Lots of effects and looping. And I live in a small town, southwestern Montana. Travel around the country, do some art shows with my uh, wife, who's a metal artist. My name is Farrell Lowe. I live in Boulder, Colorado. I play mainly electric guitar and electronics. I used to raise cattle, hogs, and horses. Don't do that anymore. Editor's note, Farrell rather understated his own background there. To get a bigger picture, I direct you to episode 12 of this podcast, which features the thoughts and music of Farrell Lowe. Low mids, I see it's just an improvisational group and we get together once a year. We set up a recording in my wife's office and just go from there. Nothing planned out, it's purely improvisational. The whole concept to me would be listening to each other and trying to create something in the moment. Sometimes I feel like it's, it'd be like the 10 monkeys jumping on the bed. I think I'm the bed and Scott and Farrell are at least maybe five monkeys each, <laughs> you know? And I'm just trying to keep a bed while they can do whatever they need to do and improvise over that. So it's definitely um, a serious endeavor, but we like to keep it light and it's definitely for like exploration and don't take it totally seriously. Mark's been doing these sessions in uh, Colorado, some of which I've gotten to join and some he does with a bunch of other folks in in Colorado. And if you look at his site, he's got, you know, uh, groups of those collaborations that he's done at his place with just a really amazing crew of musicians. And the ones I've been able to join out there, I've just like learned so much and had so much fun each time. And with the Lomids in particular, if I'm correct, Dave and Farrell have a really long history of playing music together, so there's kind of a, a pretty ferocious dynamic between those two personalities as it is. And Mark and I have a long history in music and friendship, and I think those two kind of cells coming together and sort of four really uh, different and unique personalities kind of create a wild thing in that group. There's something that can go from really delicate and sensitive and almost orchestral to something that's uh, really uh, kind of ferocious and dense and layered. And I think the mix of 
that that group does, kind of spinning on a dime from moment to moment, is pretty cool. Low mids, uh, it's a it's a special ensemble for me. Uh, I would mirror what Scott just said in that uh, the relational aspects of, of that group are really dynamic and interesting and and yield really high level results as far as improvisation music goes. From my perspective, improvisational music can often get into you know more of a jam band kind of a sensibility or people are always searching for like some kind of tonic or you know like some kind of structural element that they can cling on to and then like grow off of and i think that the low mids is fundamentally not that way not that we avoid tonics or rhythmic elements or structural elements it's very structured and in an abs it's an abstract structuralism i guess would be the way i would put it which i find really interesting and compelling scott's like the brother i never had as like as far as guitar players it's like i think that that our relational situation of perspectives bounce off of each other in really wonderful ways from my point of view it's it's almost like he's my other hand or something you know mark what i love about his rhythmic elements in general is that it's like he's so good that it's almost invisible which is amazing in a really positive way and dave can come and go with being like being invisible to being very as scott said ferocious you know like there's there's all those different dynamics that goes on and as as a congealing as an ensemble i just i i look forward to it every time that it happens and i'm always really pleasantly surprised with the results One of the coolest things that I found about the low mids is during the session, it's kind of a small room and we're all playing at the same time with no isolation whatsoever. And there's probably 16 microphones up in a space of a normal sized room, which is small. And so during the sessions, it feels so sometimes so chaotic and so like disjunct and it never ceases to fail at the they'll all leave except for Scott will stay here and 
I'll start to mix it and we'll listen to it that night. And we'll both, every time, look at each other like, that's not what happened. That can't be what happened at all. And it's that's probably the coolest thing about this band particularly is the first take to the first mix is 180 degrees, man. You would never guess it's the same band and we're always just so happy with what happened listening back, no matter how chaotic it was or how we felt at the moment. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, just have to stay in the moment. And because we're like, when we hit it, we kind of just keep going for a couple hours, take a break, go for a few more hours. And uh, it's there's not a um, um, there's not any way to like play your stock of licks or play from a safe place. There's so much happening and it's moving so fast and there's so much unexpected events. And that's actually something I love about Farrell's playing is he continually, I just always have to stay on my toes because it's always, it's, there's, there's in a really good way, curveballs constantly. You can't bring your bag of tricks. You have to just succumb to what's happening. Right. And either play or don't a lot of the time is also a good good idea but yeah it's uh, that bigger big art composition thing too as a group like to like that's what i what surprises me when we're listening back it's like like you've said continually mark that sounds composed like what the fuck how'd that recapitulation happen how did we all hit that you know those things are just so fun to hear back you know then you know everybody's got some kind of big picture architecture going on while they're playing which is amazing yeah, compositions in the moment. player uh, that's what I did for a living for a couple decades before I moved to slide guitar so that informed some of my playing and so I you know but but not just that you know rock all the listening I've done in many different styles you know and as these guys have and I think sometimes I think that stuff's pinging you know um, at, uh, unconsciously where there's there's you know referential stuff however uh, intended or not um, I know there's a, a tune we did called fourth of frith that's a, the obvious influence, but we didn't say, hey, let's do a Frith-inspired tune. We just like landed somewhere and all of a sudden we're, we're all in kind of Frith land because certainly everybody in the group has done their listening on Frith, for example. When I went to school, which is a long time ago, in high school, it was in the late 70s, music education was really a big deal in the schools. And we had a mentor named Wayne Wickham who would tell us so many great things about music and the biggest things were things like, the most intense thing you can do is nothing. Um, 
The most important thing you too can do is listen to what other people are doing. And if you can't react, don't do anything then. That might be exactly what your role is, is to actually do nothing the entire time. And I think that's part of it. The other part is, like Scott said, a lot of, lot of listening, a lot of, I mean, I'm sure we're all so diverse with our listening. I mean, I can listen to Aerosmith, to Frank Zappa, to Stravinsky, it doesn't matter. I like good music and I'm not gonna ever be pigeonholed with what, what's what. And I do think keeping an open mind, listening to Art Ensemble of Chicago probably <laughs> helped the most with this band, believe it or not. <laughs> you know, just the way they re-interact and, and that whole group dynamic is almost the same kind of concept. specifically in Denver. And it was a group of people like uh, drummer Mark Fuller, bassist Mark Simon, trumpet cornetist Ron Miles, saxophonist Fred Hess, Brett Sexton. Mark Rains was around in those days too, of course. I moved to Denver in 85 and gravitated to this group of people immediately. And it was like I'd come home. It's like, oh my gosh, you're like, finally. And like when I lived in Dallas before that, it was much more band-oriented stuff and it was pretty rock-centric. Whereas in Denver at that time, it was all gates open. You know, you could do any kind of thing you wanted to. You could do like punk jazz, you could do like synthesizer, poetry, skank guitar combos, or you could do a folk song. As time progressed, you know, like there's still some of us old timers, so to speak, around people like Mike O'Neill. He and I started playing music together right away. Same with Gordon Kennedy. We had venues. We could play places, you know. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> well, the history of, you know, the history of Colorado, the, the music scene has been, goes way, way back, of course. But. Yeah. I mean, you look at places like out of Nederland, Caribou Ranch Studios. That, you know, you see pictures of Alan Holdsworth with Tony Williams. That they don't look like they've even seen sun 
much less nature, you know? They're like hanging out on like a pine tree and they're all like, oh, it's so funny looking. But like Chicago and Sapa, all those guys recorded up there. And then a lot of people lived in Aspen. And I was, those were the party guys like Linda Ronstadt and the Eagles and Joe Walsh. All those people were here. East High in Denver. I mean, how many people came out of East High? Bill Frizzell, Ron Miles, Diana Rudy Washington, Rudy. Earth, Wind & Fire, and you know, Philip Bailey. And I do think the cross-pollination of big stars in the past coming here just to have a vacation and finding out how cool the scene was and how many studios were here really helped the younger generation like us to get into those venues. Experimental stuff was, I mean, man, you know, music right now to me is like, you're supposed to sound like somebody, which is cool. I mean, it's, it's fine. When I was growing up, that's the worst thing you could do. You know, everybody had to be doing their own thing. And I think that's what really created more of the Denver scene than anything else is everybody trying to be different. trombone player I was in LA for a long time doing studio work and whatever work I could get I mean it was all good experiences but I kind of burnt out on that and and what really sustained me was the the uh, creative music scene out there and that's where the you know the uh, long-lasting relationships have you know remained for me and uh, that I still go out there and play and I think uh, the reason I keep going i suppose it goes back to what mark said about you know um not sounding like someone else it's from the beginning it's always just been about your individual voice you know when you hear somebody you you really like you know it's them in two notes you know and um and for me music is it's just involuntary at this point i think when i left la i thought i might uh, i might just fall off that cliff but i didn't i kind of isolated myself up in the mountains and i probably play more than I ever have. So it's it's really music is the way I process the world and the way I even remotely begin to understand it or myself.
Listening to the members of Electro Manifesto and the Low Mids, it seems that a few ingredients have kindled the Denver Boulder free music scene. Artists willing to take risks, a supportive community around them, and venues willing to support unconventional music. But I also wonder if there's another ingredient or two. Perhaps a local culture that's not overly boxed in to the same old ideas? Or maybe big sky and mountain air? Whatever it is, it works. These musicians and many other local peers and collaborators continue to deliver creative new music year after year. To learn more about Electro Manifesto and the Low Mids, their recent group and solo recording projects, as well as the Guitar Improv Summit Volume 2 album that features both groups, please visit rightbrainrecords.com blog. We also include a playlist of the sounds you've heard in this episode.
You've been listening to the Right Brain Music Podcast, presented by Right Brain Records. You can visit us at rightbrainrecords.com. Farewell for now. Join us next time. Thank <laughs> you.